You're listening to Seattle Real Estate Podcast. Hey, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds, the owner of Summer Properties Northwest, Reynolds and Klein Appraisal, and your host of the Seattle Real Estate Podcast. A lot of what we're seeing in the media right now is about reopening the economy. Should we do it? Is it too early? Uh, stuff's happening, and there's all this kind of back and forth. One of the things that I thought was super interesting this past weekend is the first major professional sporting event happened in over two months in the United States, and that was UFC Fight 249, and that happened in Florida. So I'm going to talk about that because this is kind of a template for not only sports, but for a lot of just reopening in general. You can kind of have two ways of thinking about reopening. The first one is, is that you stay at home and you pretend to kid yourself that washing your hands and socially distancing yourself at the grocery store and at Costco and at Home Depot and getting food delivered to you, pretend that that's all really doing, you know, everything that it should be when in fact we've got cases still kind of going because that's what a virus does. Or you can be of the mindset of, you know what, this virus is going to be here with us. We can either be super afraid of it and be at home and really wig out about we shouldn't shouldn't be doing, or we can just go back to work and we can start resuming our normal lives. Is it too early? Uh, we don't really know. But in the case of USC 249, they were able to put together a way to hold a major professional sporting event in such a manner that I thought was... Um, was safe. It's as safe as it's going to be considering the, there's a global pandemic going on. So I'm going to take a look at exactly how they put that together, what some of the outcomes were, and what some of the really interesting things were of the way that they had some of the results, the unintended results that happened as a result of how, how you put together a major sporting event during a global pandemic. Now, if you think about boxing or MMA or ultimate fighting, that's a sport where you can take all the people out of the stands and you have just two guys in the ring at one time with one referee. So you can kind of minimize that contact. So any of the boxing or the ultimate fighting or MMA, those events, those can be worked. You, I think you can minimize the risk in such a way that you can make these things happen. And um, UFC Dana uh, president, Dana White, He's one of the guys that in the initial go around, he, along with a bunch of other business leaders, met with Trump and with President Trump. And in phase one, that was one of the major reasons that gyms were able to open up or, or be identified in phase one that, you know, we're going to have gyms opening up now. Governors across the state of you know, states have gone, yeah, we're putting gyms way at the back because those are kind of hard to uh, way at the back as far as the order of opening because it's really hard to not have people touching stuff because a gym is such a contact thing. So open up our gym sooner than later, but that's just me selfishly talking. If you can't figure out how to do it uh, in a reasonable manner, it's probably going to take some more time. So that's kind of where we're at. But UFC president Dana White. Now, you've probably heard his name, but maybe you don't know who he is. He's pretty controversial. He's a pretty bullheaded guy. He kind of does what he wants, and he will steamroll you if 
if he thinks you're wrong. I mean, he, he's a fight promoter of just, you know, basically a pretty violent sport. I think he does a great job at promoting. And at one point in time, uh, this fight was scheduled for, I think, April 18th. And then it was postponed to, uh, I think it was it was going to be in Las Vegas, and then it was postponed to New York, and then they were going to do it on tribal land somewhere. And, and I remember a few weeks ago, it was, it was probably a month ago, it was rumored to that Dana White was going to buy an island and call it Fight Island. How awesome would that have been? You know, the number one rule of Fight Island is we don't talk about Fight Island. So he was literally going to buy an island somewhere off the United States um, territory and host a fight. I mean, that would have been just amazing. But instead, um, Florida has kind of opened up a lot of its restrictions. And they had UFC Fight 249 in, where was it, Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville, Florida. How is it that Florida with its aging retired population hasn't been just decimated. Is that because it's so warm down there or they just didn't have a lot of travelers from China at the outbreak of this pandemic? I don't know, but I find it kind of mind boggling because you know, I've been to Florida a few times. I've been to South Beach, fun area. Um, but there's a lot of old people in the demographic that the coronavirus has taken out. And so how did they not get impacted when you've got nursing homes in other states just being taken down? So I don't know. But Jacksonville, Florida. So before I go too far, I'm going to go ahead and read some highlights so that if you are thinking this is a UFC fight 249 summary and you just want to know who won, I'm going to get that out of the way. I'm not a huge fight guy. Um, I was more of a boxing fan when I was younger because my dad was big into boxing, especially heavyweight. You know, Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali, and then Mike Tyson later on. Um, I'm not a big UFC guy, but if there is a big fight, I will watch it. Not a huge fan, and I'm, I'm, I don't know a ton about it. But because this is the first sporting event back, I'm going to cover it because I think it's important. I think it's important for us to be focusing on how we get back to normal now instead of, oh, my gosh, it's going to do what it's going to do. And we got to just get in there and start going because this sitting around waiting for the economy to to turn around, it's not going to do it on its own. It's kind of like Elon Musk said, if you're not making stuff, there will be no stuff. That's kind of makes sense to me. Does it make sense to you? Because if you think about it, if we're not making stuff, whether it's whatever, if you're not making stuff, it's not there. So it's go time now. Um, so let's go through the highlights of the fight. Uh, the world embraced live sports for the first time in weeks on Saturday as uh, UFC returned a stacked lineup. It was a big lineup. I knew a number of the names, which for me is, you know, uh, I'm not a huge fan. There were several breakout performances in Jacksonville, Florida on the night, but none bigger than Justin Gagey's. I'm butchering that name, and I'm going to butcher a bunch of names here because I'm not familiar with them. Justin Gagey's interim lightweight title win over Tony Ferguson. Henry... Say Hudo, uh, Bantamweight title defense against Dominique Cruz, and heavyweight Francis Naganyu, uh, 22nd knockout over Jarzino Rosenstroik. Boy, man, that's a lot of handful of names, boy, and some international people. So those are the winners there. But how did, how did 
this get put on? What were some of the precautions and what was the mindset going into this? I know that Joe Rogan was hired basically early on to announce this fight. But but time and time and time again on his podcast, he would say, yeah, I'm not calling that fight. If it's not safe, I'm not calling that fight. I'm not going there. I'm not calling that fight. And the way I I'm a huge Joe Rogan fan. Because not only is he a great podcaster, but he's actually a pretty solid thinker. And he's able to kind of put put his thoughts into perspective and argue with people that's in a it's he can be confrontational, but he's also just a smart guy. I mean, you might think uh, he's a knucklehead because he's an eighth degree black belt in um, what is it? Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I mean, the guy is strong, and he's got a kick that if you took one of those kicks to the chest, you'd be down and out. But Joe Rogan, for for weeks, was like, I'm not going to announce that fight if it's not safe. So how did they make this fight safe? Well, they had coronavirus testing. They had a fan-free arena. They had social distancing. They had self-isolation. White looked at all the unprecedented details that seemed too complex and too risky to some outsiders as merely extra challenges. So Dana White basically said, we're going to do this. We're going to put this on. We're going to run with it. And so this past Saturday, May the, what was it, the 9th, they had the first major sporting event in the United States, and then they're going to go this Wednesday. I'm shooting this on Monday, May the 11th. They're going to go in two more days, also back in Florida, and then they're going to go next Saturday. And one of the interesting facts about this past weekend's UFC 249 was that it was one of the it was the most heavily bet upon UFC fight ever. Because we just haven't had, I mean, sports bettors from all over, like, oh, my gosh, there's a professional sporting event. Let's bet on this. We've finally got something that we can bet on. So that was um, kind of one of the, I mean, you got nothing else. The, the NFL, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, and NASCAR, all of them were watching this to kind of see how this went down. The UFC created a 25-page document to address health and safety protocols. So they did it right. It's not like Fight Club in the basement where you're just brawling. These are professionals and they want to keep these guys safe because they need them down the road to fight as well. It's a business and it's a massive business at that. So the UFC created a 25-page document to address safety and health concerns, which included disinfecting the octagon between bouts. And in UFC, it's eight-sided octagon ring it's not a ring it's not a a square Um, obviously it's an octagon eight sides sorry octagon in between routes and mandating tests and masks for nearly everyone in attendance so there was a 15,000 person arena and they had basically 300 people involved in this event there's nobody in the stands there's no fans so you got 300 people involved I imagine they had probably 10 uh, bouts, 10 cards. Um, I know they had four headliner fights and then a bunch of undercards. So there's 20 boxers right there. And then you've got their trainers and you've got their entourage and people. And then you got all the people to actually run it, run the building and that kind of thing. So for 300 people, they did between Wednesday and Saturday, they did 1,200 coronavirus tests. 
they did a ton of testing. And so, and it didn't go off without a hitch. It, they had a hitch. They had, let's see if I can find it here. Um, oh yeah, here it is. Jakarte Souza. He told the UFC, hey, I was around somebody who's been tested positive. He let them know, hey, I could possibly have it. And so what happened is that he got tested, he went through the weigh-in, and he went through kind of the stare-down, they call it, where he's looking at the other opponent, but they had him distance out. And then before the fight, I think it was on uh, Friday, they figured out that he did test positive. And so he was he had to pull out of the fight. Really disappointing for him, but, you know, he's got the rota. And so... Um, and also two of his corner men tested positive as well. Super contagious. So all three men have left the, hot, the host hotel and they're, they're self-isolating off-premises where UFC's medical team will monitor their conditions remotely and will provide assistance with any necessary treatment. So the UFC is taking care of their guys because that's important. So that was kind of a, a major deal. He drove down from, uh, he trains in Florida and he drove down and um, he made weight during the official weigh in and then he was wearing a mask and gloves before receiving his positive results. So super disappointing for him. But um, what are you going to do? You have 1,200 tests on 300 people. And I know Joe Rogan's been super clear about having people on his podcast. What he does is he has a doctor there and they do a test. It's a couple hundred bucks. And I know a lot of, no, it's maybe $299. There's a mobile medical testing company, sends a doctor out. Joe gets tested. His guest gets tested. And then they're kind of like, all right, let's do this. Let's move on. So one of the quotes um, that I thought was super interesting from Dana White was that however it was handled this week, this was our first week. It will only get better. And we can share what we learned here doing three events with other sports leagues who are reaching out to us and asking. So these guys are basically the guinea pigs. It's like, how do we do this? And... So they just kind of did it. Now, a lot of what happened, um, so inside the ring, you've got a, an arena that's empty. Joe Rogan, Daniel Cormier, and John Anik, they're announcers. They are seated apart. They are not wearing masks. Um, fighters didn't wear masks, but their cornermen did. Basically, their, their trainer and their coach in their corner, those guys wore masks. The athletic commission officials and UFC personnel wore masks, but referees inside the cage did not. They did not wear masks. Outside the cage, some refs did, but some didn't. Bruce Buffer, he's the he was the main guy uh, refereeing the, the no he was the announcer. Bruce, Bu- Bruce Buffer um, wore one cage side, but when he entered the cage to bellow his instructions, with, he did that without a mask. So you know how the thing comes down and you announce it, or however they do it in UFC, the announcer guy and he gives instructions. Um, he did that without a mask, but outside the ring he was wearing a mask. So he gave fighters elbow pump bumps instead of fist bumps. So elbow. All right, you don't touch as much stuff with your elbow. But these are fighters that are literally going to be hanging on to each other. And that's another thing. This is a perfect sport to have 
people who are going to be coming in physical contact with other people. These are guys that fight for a living. And so for them, I think the threat of the coronavirus, these are guys that are in great shape. They all kind of know that even if they come down with it, probably nothing's going to happen. Because just about everybody who's healthy, who doesn't have a pre-existing condition, that isn't overweight, that doesn't have hypertension, that doesn't have blood, high blood pressure, those people don't really have issues with the coronavirus, with actively getting it. A lot of times they're asymptomatic and they have no, you know, you, no symptoms whatsoever. And they can be a carrier and they can infect other people. But these are guys that are used to taking big head punches. I mean, just, you know, ring your bell all the time. And so for them, little coronavirus, as long as they are tested, they're kind of like, yeah, I'm fine. And that seemed to be the attitude with most of them. Coronavirus just doesn't really threaten them and they're ready to get back to work. They want to kind of kind of keep it going. So elbow bumps rather than fist bumps. And what happened is Joe Rogan kicked up such a fuss. He wanted to be able to see peep the fighters in the eye when he interviewed them. I thought uh, initially that he, and I thought the way it went down last week right before the fight, I thought that he was going to be like 100 feet away. He was going to be announcing the fight remotely is what all the newscasts said. But when it came down to it, he kicked and, and screamed enough. And he's like, I want to be right there announcing because so much of his announcing is reading the guys that he's talking to. He said, I want to be able to look them in the eyes and talk to them instead of being 100 feet away. That's basically his quote. So I think he recognized the safety factor of, you know, we've had everybody tested. I've been tested. He was probably tested three times, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, maybe even Saturday, who knows, but they're testing the heck out of these people. And so Joe gets to the point where he's like, yeah, I want to be either in the ring or ringside announcing this because that's how you get the real feel for what's going on. One of the quotes um, that was super interesting to me was, it was the greatest UFC fight ever heard. So, and I watched a bunch of the, the clips. It was really interesting because normally in a fight, you've got all this ringside, you got all this noise and all this kind of feedback and you can't really what's going on and the crowd's cheering and you can only watch it. But with nobody in the stands, when I was watching the clips earlier before this podcast, I didn't watch it live. I didn't stream it or anything because um, I'm not that big of a fan. But uh, my son did, Kiernan did, and he said it was really weird watching it because you could hear everything. And when I watched some of the highlight clips, you could hear, and some of the articles mentioned that there's a wildly different sound when you have a, a body blow versus uh, a head blow just the way these punches land it's just a different sound and we've never really heard that before because we've never had fights when the stands are empty so that was a super interesting thing and then uh, this was a really uh, uh, kind of an unintended consequence so greg hardy he's one of the the main fighters greg hardy participated saturday in ufc 249 um Hardy defeated Jorgen de Castro for his sixth win in the company. The match took place without any fans. Hardy said there was one reason why having no fans was a game changer for him. Hardy said he heard some of the announcers, including Daniel Cormier. He's there a lot. Cormier, I'm not sure. He's right there with Rogan. 
he heard uh, Daniel critiquing him during the match. Cormier had said that Hardy needed a way to counter DeCastro's kicks. So he's calling out the fight, but because there's nobody else around, the fighter can hear him. So Cormier had said that Hardy needed a way to counter DeCastro's kicks. Hardy was listening and later won via unanimous decision. Thank God for not having the crowd. Shout out to DC. So he's basically saying, hey, I took advantage of this lack of sound. I heard what the commentator was saying. I took that to heart. And because of that, he said it's a game changer and he won. I heard him tell me to check him, that I needed to figure out how to check it. And so I started trying to check him, game changer. So during the fight, he's taking advice from one of the ringside guys and wins because of it. That's pretty wild because normally you just, you wouldn't, if you're a fighter in there and you've got 15,000 screaming fans, you're not going to hear much. You're not going to hear much of anything. Um, So let's move back. So elbow bumps rather than fist bumps. The presence of Buffer, he's the announcer in the ring, and Rogan inside the cage, and Octagon Girl, Brittany Palmer. You gotta have the Octagon Girl, because without boxing, I mean, without UFC fighting or boxing, without the girl that holds the card up, I mean, what's what's a sport without that? Other sports have their cheerleaders, boxing and MMA and UFC, they have their fight, their uh, Octagon Girl. So that took place. One of the main things that everybody about this fight said is we could hear everything. And that's both a good and a bad thing in a professional fight. And here's why. Perhaps the most unexpected sound of all came right before the main event. Bantamweight champion Henry Cejudo had just knocked out a legend. Two-time former champ Dominique Cruz. And when he stood next to Rogan for his interview, Cejudo had more than the fight on his mind. Joe, I'm happy with my career, said the champ. I've done enough in the sport. I want to walk away. I want to enjoy myself. I'm 33 years old. Since I was 11 years old, I sacrificed my whole life to get where I'm at today. I'm not going to let anybody take that from me. So I'm retiring tonight, Joe. So boom, kind of an unexpected retirement. And there was no crowd to give Cejudo a send-off ovation as he exited the cage. So normally, if somebody announces a retirement, you're going to have some pretty massive cheers. That guy goes out thinking, yeah, you know, the fans love me. I'm at the top of my game. I'm kind of doing what I need to do. This is the right decision. But you walk off and there's nothing. There's no sound. There's probably some announcers going, really? You chose to do that here? And then my son, Karen, who watched the fight, he said, yeah, that might just be uh, the guy's trying to renegotiate his contract. These guys... You know, they they feign retirement fairly often, and then they come back. They've got to come back, and more people watch it, and they make more money. So um, all night long, the sounds of the event produced fun revelations. Did you know that a punch to the face and a punch to the body sound way differently? It's an actual quote in this article. So, yeah, you could close your eyes for a few seconds, listen to the thwacks and the thuds, and you have a pretty good idea what was landing here. So that's a really different thing because most of the time you just can't hear any of that. Another great quote that I thought was interesting um, from Dana White. A lot can be learned by what we're doing here, not just for professional sports, but for sending people back to work and a lot of other things in life. And that is so true. You just, at some point in time, you got to pull the trigger and realize, yep, the coronavirus is going to be here with us. It's a virus. 
It's probably going to have a round two. It's probably going to come back next fall. No, we don't have a vaccine for it. But our lives kind of have to go on. And the way the coronavirus is, it has kind of situated itself, it really only takes out the elderly and people with pre-existing conditions, right? I mean, that's who it kills. There are people who have gotten really sick, and there are people who have died who are not in those demographics. But the odds of that are super, super low. You are way more likely to get in a car wreck and die just getting in your car, going somewhere, going to the store, going to Costco, going to Home Depot. You have those big long lines of people all standing supposedly six feet apart. And then once they get inside the store, everybody just runs around like normal. There's no social distancing. So I find the whole thing just kind of silly, but it's what we have to do to kind of get through this and appease our government because they need to be able to point and say, you guys, you guys aren't socially distancing. There's 80,000 of you on Huntington Beach. That's a no-no. We're going to shut it down. And for things like that, yeah, I agree. But so much of this else is just a joke. We're not really... A virus. You're not going to work your way around it. Washing your hands. I mean, really? I mean, I don't know. That It just strikes me as kind of silly. And we're at that point where we're going to go be, be going back to work. And so, yeah, I think that other things in life are, they're, they're going to be dictated by, yep, we're going back. You need to get rid of the fear. So we're going to be looking for a lot of other events and things going on, other states that have opened up, maybe before the state that you're in. I know I'm watching Georgia to see what their um, their experience is like. Now, the coronavirus ta- ta- basically takes about three weeks from the time somebody gets it to the time they die. That's kind of the incubation and cycle. And Georgia opened up on April 24th. So we're kind of coming up on three weeks here pretty quickly. They opened, they had their initial opening up on the 24th. And a couple days later, they kind of really let it rip. And a bunch more of uh, their industry kind of went back to work. So they are pretty close to being fully reopened. And a lot of people said, no, it's way too early. And yes, their cases have gone up. But they're also doing a ton more testing. So that's what we're seeing in a lot of these areas. I know Washington, state of Washington, where I live, it's doing more testing. In our cases, they they haven't kind of come down the way, and I'm drawing my hand in a downward curve for those of you on YouTube and on the podcast, kind of indicating we haven't had this major downward curve, but we've also been doing more testing. So our numbers are up from that standpoint. The thing I thought with Georgia is even though they basically sent their economy back to work, their death rate is considerably less than it was. Their, de- their daily death toll is way down. So is the uh, coronavirus, is COVID-19, is that kind of working its way through? Has it already done its damage? And now kind of no matter what we do, it's just going to do its own thing. I think that's a lot of what's going on. I know uh, Governor Cuomo in New York, last week, he indicated that 60% of his new hospitalizations were for people that had basically been hunkered down, and yet they're still getting it. So how is that possible? Maybe did they have a family member come by to say hi, and they got it from them? Don't know. Maybe the containers of food that they're being brought from either a restaurant or a grocery delivery? Is that happening? I don't know. Are they going to the grocery store, 
thinking that they're really self-isolating and they're really hunkered down when in reality they're not. I don't know. But even Como said, we're not really sure why this is happening or how this is happening, but it is. It is what it is. And a lot of this stuff, it's kind of like, it's time to go back to normal, uh, real world. And I know a lot of people will disagree with me there. But, you know, if you've watched enough of my podcasts, I think you'll re- realize that I'm, I'm a reasonable human being. I'm not saying expose everybody, but I'm saying take the people who are at risk, get them out of harm's way, let everybody go back. If you don't want to go back to work, and if you can figure out how to work from home, great. Not everybody has that option. And if you do need to go back to work, I think it's one of those things where if you really look at the numbers, it's this isn't something that you need to be mortally afraid of going back to work. Because if you're healthy, and if you're not in an age demographic that it, that's such that it's going to impact you, you're probably going to be fine. The most dangerous thing you're going to do going back to work is literally getting in your car, turning that ignition and putting it in drive. Because out on the road, your chances of getting in a wreck or hurt are way higher than catching the coronavirus. And or even if you do catch it, dying from it, not going to happen. The odds are super slim. Could you fall off the sidewalk? Yeah, that could happen to you too. But we're not going to outlaw sidewalks as a result either. We're not going to put a barrier around all sidewalks. I was in uh, downtown Seattle last Wednesday, and they literally had park benches cordoned off because the homeless are there and the homeless are not you know, they're not practicing much in the way of social isolation. And they're also they don't have the resources to take a shower and wash their hands like our governor is continually telling us to do. So they are kind of like the playground at the park, where kids would normally play with all those surfaces, they basically quadrant off park benches. And I thought that that really sucks because people are just kind of sitting there. But I get it. Put your hands down when you go to stand up, whatever. And so, you know, just so much of this stuff is and that's gonna change here as we start to go back to reopening. So I think a lot of businesses are in the process right now of figuring out just like the UFC has, how do we make this go? How do we kind of get back into it? Because you're going to have a lot of companies who are going to say, yep, we are full tilt, we're going to go back. Here's how we do it. Those are the people that are going to be leaders in their industries. And they're going to have to kind of put their foot out and not gently test the waters. They're going to have to go full tilt because in this in in this whole thing, You either kind of embrace the fact that you're not socially isolating or you don't. There's really no in-between for me. I think so much of what we've been told is just to make everybody feel better because there's so much fear attached to the coronavirus. But ask the guys in the UFC. They wouldn't have signed up. They wouldn't have taken their contract if they were like, you know, if I get this, it's not going to be good for me. They're kind of like, you know what? It's back to work. This is what I do for a living. These guys have figured out a way to make this safe for me. And even though they have uh, one uh, case where somebody did get it, they handled it accordingly. They checked with the Florida Boxing Commission. Florida Boxing Commission said, yep, we think you've handled it well. Game on. Let's go. And so they did. So I was super happy to see that a major sporting event took place. There wasn't anything weird from it. Um, will people possibly contract the coronavirus from that event? Yeah. I mean, 
They could. But does that mean we just don't have those events anymore? No, you just kind of move forward. It's a virus. It's what it's going to do. More people are going to get it. More people are going to die. That's just kind of how it is. And I think we've taken all the precautions we need to, just like the UFC has done here. And we move forward because kind of like Elon Musk said, if you're not making stuff, there is no stuff. And that's the whole thing with the economy. And that's the argument I have with a lot of people who don't understand economics, who don't understand businesses, that if you have economies shut down, those businesses won't recover. And that's the point we're at right now. Get those businesses going. Get those people back to work who are willing and able to go back to work, who aren't so freaked out about the mindset of, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. You're not going to die. You're going to be okay. That's just the odds are in your favor. If, am I saying that to somebody who's going to catch it and die? I don't know. Um, I don't think that's, that's not my intent. My intent is look at the odds and take your chances because the odds are they're, they're in your favor. I'm going to leave you with one last quote and kind of my segue into the ending of this podcast. And it's a quote from Dana White, UFC president. It was weird. There's so many things that we love about live sports, whether you're home or in a bar or live there. One of the big key components to live sports are the group of people that you're with and the energy that you get when cool things happen. And that is kind of what is missing from our lives right now to a large extent because we're not around when cool things happen. Cool things don't necessarily happen at home. And if you've been at home for like eight weeks, you've pretty much exhausted all the cool things that can happen at home. So don't be afraid to venture out, go to the store, do your thing, take whatever precautions you need to, but have that mindset of it's go time. Let's go. How do we address this? Look at the safest way to make it happen and get back out there. Because at some point in time, you're going to have to. We can't stay in quarantine forever. Everybody knows that, but everybody's so afraid of having a major flare-up that we've got this paralysis by analysis going on. So that's what I'm going to leave you with. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I enjoy talking about the UFC because it's a little bit outside of my wheelhouse. And um, I'm probably going to watch the event on uh, this coming Wednesday and maybe this Saturday, stream it live from somewhere. Do you have to pay for that? I think you do. I think all of these are pay, but uh, it might be worth paying because, and I haven't seen anything other than a pre-recorded like soccer match from 10 years ago, or maybe a Michael Jordan NBA championship. You've been watching some of those because you're so desperate to watch something where there's a bunch of people running around. I might watch these events just to see, hey, how, how is this going? So I encourage you to do the same. Support the UFC because they are a trailblazer in professional sports right now. They're the only one doing it. Everybody else is looking around going, oh, maybe it's time we jump in. So let's see. I don't know. Thank you so much for, if you're watching this on the YouTube platform, thanks so much for watching the video. And if you're listening on our podcast platforms, thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Sean Reynolds. We'll catch you in the next one. Bye. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell so you'll know when our next video is out. 